little bit, and um, I just feel like I don't know. This may be for one person, two people, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to just kind of convey some things that I hope help you. Romans 12 and 1, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Pay very close attention to these instructions. You've you got to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Someone say a living sacrifice. And this is how that will look. Holy and acceptable unto God, which he says is your reasonable service or your rational service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The transform, transforming is done by the renewing of your mind for this purpose. All of that instruction is leading to this outcome. That you may prove, the word prove here is translated that you may discern, that you may know. You've got to, you're not going to just know what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God uh, unless you are transforming into it. All right? The awareness, the proving, the discerning is going to come in stages. It's going to come through the process, Paul says, of this transformation by the renewing of your mind. So maybe I could, um, if you need a title, I'm going to put this, I'm going to call this the great power of a transformed life. Let's pray. Lord, we love you tonight. Help me in just a little bit of time and value these great people's time. But let me surrender now. Ask that you'll rest our hearts and let me be a blessing in this great church tonight. I thank you for this opportunity. God, just draw our attention here for a minute. I know it's a little warm and it's Sunday, Sunday evening, God, and uh, uh, we, our minds could be elsewhere and uh, thinking about the week. But Lord, I ask you for just a little bit. Let's just come off the clock here and arrest our hearts and, and help us to learn and be instructed to grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen. What I learned from this subject when um, I came back to the Lord 28 years old, i give you a little background. My father was a tremendous man of God, tremendous man in Indiana, great pioneer. Uh, my, I come from four generations of apostolic. My uncle was Robert McFarland. He was the General Secretary, he was the uh, Regional Director of Europe, Middle East, a lot of legacy, a lot of heritage in the McFarland family of apostolic truth. Um, I'd like to tell you that that had an impact on me as a young man, and it didn't. I had no relationship with God. I had not a clue, and I grew up in a great church in Indiana, uh, grew up playing drums and instruments, and had no prayer life. I didn't know the Word of God. And, uh, you know, it's inevitable that at some point you're going to meet the real world, young people. And you are no match for this world without a real relationship with God. Uh, Mom and dad, pastor, etc., 
aren't always going to be there. So let me, let me tell you how I learned all this the hard way. And I grew up in the Indiana camp and working and worshiping God and all these things, but these little, these, these little moment, momentary times with God will not see you through. You've got to, you've got to find the consistency in your walk with God. You've got to actually develop relationship with uh, God and with prayer and with the things of God. And so I, I, uh, I certainly was taught these things, but they, I did not cultivate them for myself. And when uh, some of my family went into the New Age movement, they didn't even know it was the New Age movement. Back, This is now back in the uh, late 70s. Uh, I was literally just brainwashed into the craziest stuff that you can possibly imagine. And uh, by the time I was 21, 22 years old, we were married, and um, we moved to Texas, and I was introduced to alcohol, I was introduced to drugs, and we were told under this new belief system that uh, this stuff's okay, there's no such thing as sin. Uh, you know, the Bible says in these last days, there's going to be doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. There are going to be things that are at work in these last days. There's going to be an escalation uh, of spirits at work to deceive. It says, if possible, even the very elect. There's going to be, the writer said, it's going to be perilous times. Perilous times. Not just because of wars and the violence, but he said, because men are going to be more lovers of themselves than of God. More lovers of, of entertainment. Ooh, help me now. More lovers of, of me, you know, me, me. I've read somewhere uh, the, co- the, the greatest cause of, of most people's misery is preoccupation with self. Just, just me, just my time. You know, I need to be entertained and I, I, need, to, I need the maximum entertainment. I need the maximum uh, attention spent on me and he and 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 plus said that it's going to be perilous times because uh we're going to there, there's many that's going to be drawn away after these things and by the time i cycled through uh in my 20s 28 years old i'm living in florida now wife and and our two girls and i have been an alcoholic and a drug addict for all of those times i'm just decided it's time for me to die. A spirit of death come upon me. John 10, 10, the thief cometh to steal, kill, and destroy. And uh, I attempted to do that. It's God's grace that my life wasn't ended. ended. My wife found me. Uh, I was in terrible condition. After they medically helped me some, she, I don't remember any of this, by the way. I literally was out of my mind. My mind was gone. She put me in our motor home with our two young girls, drove me out of the state of Florida and drove me to Indiana, called her sister, brother-in-law, the pastor there, said, I'm bringing, I know it's camp time, I'm bringing Terry to camp. I haven't been there since we were little. And uh, when I kind of came to as much as I could, I, I, it dawned on me, we're at, the, we're at the campground. And there at the campground, I won't go into all of it for the sake of time, but over the course of three and four days uh, powerful people my wife's grandmother in her 90s people of God that knew our family from on back 
began to pray and seek God for me. And God delivered me. And God restored me. I mean, you talk about a mess, folks. I had had long hair down about here. Had hair up here, too. And uh, I was the worst-looking thing. I had a huge wound on my head, blood running down my face. I had vomited numerous times that first night, withdrawing from drugs and alcohol. And there, my wife and my sweet little girls, they got the Holy Ghost, just little, uh, 8 years old and, and 11 years old, um, got the Holy Ghost there. What a week that was. <laughs> and uh, God put me back in my right mind. I drove back to Florida. I drove my family back to Florida. Pulled up my home, walked in my house. Took me about an hour to clean all the alcohol. I had like a liquor store in there. We had a very nice home, a good business. And um, it took me a while to clean out all the junk, thousands of dollars. I was walking through there. I asked my wife to keep my kids outside and let me just clean this house out. That The guy that was living there was another guy. And uh, I said, God, help me find all my hiding places. And I got it all out, brought my family in there. And my wife's sister had went to the uh, ladies' auxiliary over there and uh, bought us all Bibles. And uh, we didn't have any Bibles. We had these Bibles. And in the back of the Bible my brother-in-law gave me, he wrote a prophetic word that uh, a man of God uh, gave there. Um, at that campground, he said, "Write this down." He, Terry, probably won't even remember it. It's on my, in my office in Ireland, there on my desk, and it says this: "This day hath God given you a second chance. Uh, in due season, as you walk with the Lord with all your heart, He will open the door to another land, and there give you a great harvest of souls." We had no idea that just within four years that other land would be Ireland and the McFarlands would go to anyway. Amen. Uh, I put that there in our living room and I brought my family in there and I, I got them down that night and I said every night and I begin to repent to them and about all the, I said you girls are very young, you won't remember the dad that used to be. And I, I made a covenant with my family. I made a covenant with those kids and my wife. And I got down literally on my knees in front of them. I asked for forgiveness. And I said, I, I don't know how to become the man that is in my heart to be. I, I read where Paul said I, when he was converted from this Saul that is pursuing Christians and, 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 and threatening Christians. And uh, I called Paul the, the Sanhedrin hitman. You know, he... He was the greatest threat literally to Christianity in that day. And, and, and his conversion there on the Damascus Road. And now he, he comes to us and he says, I, Now I, I'm trying to apprehend that which apprehended me. I, I'm, I'm trying to get a hold of what's got a hold of me. That's the way I felt. I, I was driven by this passion, I have it today, of knowing the God that rescued me. I, I got to know him. If you think... I'm going to come from where I've come from and just kind of find my seat on a church pew somewhere and settle in there and never grow and never win a soul and never worship and never learn to uh, 
develop my walk with God. I, I don't know what Bible you're reading. I don't know, I don't know where that comes from. There, I, I was driven, driven, amen. Uh, and, the, and the more I began to walk with God, the more driven I became. And I got my family down, and I said, I, I'm, I, I, I'm full of gratitude. I'm full of thanksgiving. I'm full of an overwhelming sense of a debt that I owe. And I said, I'm, you're going to see a dad that prays, and you're going to see a dad every night that's here with you girls. And Caleb hadn't come along yet. And we got down there and prayed the simplest prayers you've ever heard, man, just talking to God, just like, you know, he's your dad. And I, I just felt like he's sitting right there. And we got down, we just talked, and I made sure he, Sean and Ashley, little bitty things, and they, they would say a little prayer, and, 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 and two weeks goes by, and, and we, we are weeping, and we learned we better get some Kleenexes going on around here. We bought a lot of Kleenex boxes, and, 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 and we're setting our Kleenex there. And, man, we could not wait for that family time. And we're down there praying, and we're studying the Word of God, and we're having our family devotions and our prayer time. And as we move along, I come upon this scripture where Paul is giving this instructions to the church in this epistle um, about this transformation. Ooh, man, it just grabbed me. I stayed right here for about six months. And I became a student of this, this transformation uh, a commandment. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I uh, I started writing anything I get. Finally, I, I, I went and bought a bunch of journals. So now I have about 20 or so transformation journals. And my girls started getting journals. And I learned something. I teach my leaders this in Ireland. When you, when you are praying, um, prayer is, is communication. And it's a, it's a two-way street. It means I'm not, it's just not me doing all the talking. Uh, it's, it's learning to listen. It's learning they that wait upon the Lord. Uh, you have not because you ask not. I learned that God will give you instructions on what to ask. And then you actually need to learn to wait for an answer. And you need to write that down. And, and, and this is how transformation takes place. Transformation, I found this word here, comes from the Greek word metamorpho. It's such a powerful powerful word and it it uh, we get our word metamorphosis from it this is this is literally the definition transformation it is the process of metamorphosis the process from an immature form that's a new convert to an adult form in two or more distinct stages watch this it is the change in the form of the nature of a person into a completely different one by natural than supernatural means. Are you getting all that? He said, be transformed. Be you metamorphosed. Be engaged. Present your body as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? Well, it's not sacrifice unless it costs you something. So Paul's saying to the church, the born again, water baptized, Holy Ghost filled church, I'm beseeching you. The Amplified says, I'm begging you by the mercies of God or for for God's sake, church. You're supposed to be presenting your body. The word body there, when you explode it out, it means 
your full faculty, your intellect, your ability to reason, everything that God gave you, you're supposed to be presenting that to God as a sacrifice and, and coming to God with this idea, God, everything that I am, everything I have is on the altar. Every way I think about life, myself, my view, it's all on the altar. Everything, God, that you want to change, everything that you want crucified, my behavior about life, my attitude toward others, my, my money, my materialistic things, everything, God, is on the altar. There's no, nothing I am, there's no way that I think that I'm going to go, well, that's just the way I am. No, no, no. There's no changing that gets done when I come to this conclusion that like, uh, you know, I, oh, you know, man, just kind of settled in my ways and, and, you know, that's just the way I am. The process of change into a completely different person. We talk about, Brother McFarland, you become partakers of a divine nature. Your nature changes. No wonder we can affect the world like we can. We become people step by step. Romans 1 says, faith by faith, from faith to faith. Corinthians says, from glory to glory. We are changed, transformed into the image of His Son. We, these things are working in, for our good, always. God is every adversity that comes. So this, this light affliction, He says, which worketh an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There, everything, everything we go through, everything works together for our good, transforming us, progressing us at, to the next level. So I'm walking in faith. Show me my, your faith. I'll show you my faith by my works. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the faith that I have now, and I'm, I'm, I'm working it to its maximum effort. I'm maximizing Everything about my faith. I'm putting it on the line every day. I'm giving. I'm trusting. I'm believing. That's how I'm growing my faith. I'm bringing everything to the altar and saying, God, I, I'm, I'm, I, I want to go to the next level. I want to grow to the next place. This, this got a hold of me, man. I, I, I just was consumed by it. And I, I, I want to say this and qualify this because I'm, I'm not here to preach against anything. Got a great pastor that can help you set the boundaries of conviction and can 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 mentor and grow you there but i'll tell you what i am doing i'm preaching for a whole lot <laughs> i'm preaching for change amen someone said we'll never change what we're willing to tolerate and if nothing changes well nothing changes i got to become comfortable in my walk with God with change. Change. That scares us, doesn't it? I mean, just say that. I need to change. That's, that's almost bad as talking about money. I need to change. I need to change. I used to walk around. I used to drive in business. And I'm like, God, what do you want to change today? Change. I just talk to myself, you know. Pull over the side of the road. Man, the Holy Ghost would begin to move my life. God, what do you want to change today? What? What is it about me? What is it about my ways that is getting in the way of me being more effective for you? And, 
and, and as I'm progressing and I'm studying and, and, and I'm reading what Paul is saying and, 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 and look what he came from to what he became. And I'm like, if, if you could take a man like that and turn him into this great apostle and now over in Philippians, he's saying, uh, uh, man, I've suffered the loss of everything. <laughs> he said, it. I'm going to tell you, you don't see me crying the blues. He said, I count it rubbish. Everything I've lost why would you do that, Paul? Why? Everything you've accumulated in life, everything that you've, you have, you've suffered the loss of it, and, and you count it rubbish anyway. He said, this is why. For the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He said, when I contrast what I am understanding about Jesus Christ, my relationship with him and what it's doing, he said, nothing, everything else pales in comparison. Everything I've ever known, ever been, ever accumulated, when I put it up against my walk with God, I put up against my relationship with God, I put it up the late, against the latest revelation that God showed me. Man, it's not even on the scale. Paul's transformation process caused him to completely reevaluate his whole value system. His whole value system about life. It wasn't about things not about things church it's not about things you're not going to take things with you but we're laying up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't corrupt and the thief can't break through and steal is everybody okay I'll cut this short if you need me to growing growing I think I think I think God's pretty serious about this growing stuff. I think he's serious. I think he's more serious about us growing than us being comfortable. And I'll tell you what else I think. I think a lot of church is for us. I think a lot of things that we do, we do for us. We, we're more impressed a lot of times with our church than God is. Why? Why is that, Brother McFarland? Because God sees the heart. Heart. And he's seeking true worshipers. That worship. It's not just what I say I am. It's not what I just decide in myself. What I, I'm, I'm apostolic. I've got to know what that means. And I've got to live that out. Now more than ever, I think this thing's wrapping up pretty soon. My cousin, Bob McFarland's a missionary to Israel. Got some connections, got some insight. Talks to these rabbis. There's things that are happening, church, that are escalating within the last two weeks. Good Lord. We are so close to the coming of the Lord. We've heard that for years. But I'm telling you, the things that could happen before we wake up in the morning that would escalate things that would there be no return to. And I'm going to tell you something. You'd have to have your head in the sand right now to not understand the day and hour that we are living in. And there's every time to push everything off the table in your life. Every other motive, every other ambition, every other desire. And focus 100% on your walk with God. And begin to grow. I don't know what point that maybe you, you quit growing like you're supposed to. 
But it's time to hit the reset button. And it's time to just say, God, every, everything's off the table right now, God. You put on the table what you want. You help me get back serious about this, the walk with you and what you ordained for me to be. And as we were growing and as we're developing this and we're getting down there in that living room and we're growing, we're learning to pray. We, we, we begin to learn things I didn't even know we needed to learn. That's what's great about your walk with God and the great thing about transformation, about metamorphosis into, and that God begins to change your nature. It's so unbelievably uh, liberating <laughs> because you, you don't realize until you begin to engage deeply in a walk with God just how much bondage has been in your life. You don't realize how enslaved you've been to the worldly system, to the materialistic system. What do you mean? You know, just, just buying and selling and upgrading and shopping and looking for the best deal and, and just, just the hours and the effort that is spent just, just you know, in, engaged in that whole process. And now, all of a sudden, you're, those things, uh, uh, you know, they, 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 they lose their meaning and they're replaced by an intensity for a walk with God. And as I, I begin to grow and as these things begin to take place in my life and I begin to cultivate that as my identity, who am I? I'm an individual that's in the process of growth with God. I'm, I am a true disciple of Jesus Christ. I am growing. I am learning. Uh, you think I can pray now. You wait till two or three weeks from now. You think I'm a soul winner now. I ain't seen anything yet. And we... we got in this little home missions, you know, Pentecostal church down there in St. Cloud at the time, little shack, literally, I'm telling you, this place was unbelievable, handful of people, a young pastor, I walked in the door with my family, and and it was little window ACs, this is Florida now, they weren't even keeping up with that place, and I walked in there, and I just, I fell in love with that place, man, it was just, it's an old building, you know, and, and I walked in that young pastor, told him who I was, somebody had already called him, told him that, that, backslidden pastor's son lives just down the road from me and I just we just threw ourselves into that church and I told him I said pastor I own a business and I said I know a lot of people in this town and some of the really bad people drug addicts drug dealers alcoholics and I said a lot of them work for me actually and I said um, I, I'm not going to do it now but in a few weeks I'm going to start bringing these people to church like crazy and I said but it's going to change this church. I know it is. So you need to let me know. I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm seeking God. Introduce my family. And I said, uh, I, I, I don't think this building is going to get it done. And I said, if you'll meet me the next day. And we went down and there were some warehouses, huge warehouses. And I knew the guy owned them. We went down and um, I said, we'll take, we'll take the whole end of this building. And we took the wall out. I brought my crews in. We renovated, see, about 250, and uh, we had, a, like, a dedication service. And, and pastor's like, okay, well, we got the room now. I said, all right. I said, this is what I'm asking. I, I want that section right there. That seat's about 100. I said, I want that section. And I said, but I'll tell you what's going to be filled with. It's going to be filled with drug addicts and drug dealers, come, some, some of the worst in this community. He's like, sounds great, man. He said, where are you going to start? I said, I'm going to start in my shop. 
where my tractors are and everything. And I started doing Bible studies in there. And man, that first few Bible studies, I got my search for truth chart out. He had just taught it to me. I opened that chart up, and we're praying, and we're fasting, and these guys started coming. And I used to throw some pretty big parties in that place, and my uh, my around my pool deck, and kegs of beer, and these guys started coming, thinking they were coming to that kind of party. They walked in that shop, and they were like, "Yo, Mac, what's up, man? Are we gonna we gonna get high?" I said, "Oh yeah, we're definitely gonna get high, man. We're." We're going to get blasted, man. It's going to be amazing. I had my search for truth chart, and I had it turned right where the Holy Ghost had been poured out. You ever seen that search for truth chart? And that that's just a great, you know, tongues of fire, you know. And and I start, they're like, well, yo, man, what's, what's that thing you got, man? I said, I said, I'm going to show you guys something here. They said, I think you're going to like it. And they're all sitting in there. Some got guns, you know, and they walked in with drugs. They're half, some are half stoned already, you know. And I was like, whew, God, if you don't show up quick, I may not come out of this alive. I started teaching the word. And I'm just teaching about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts. And I'm not even looking at these guys, man. I'm like, I don't know what's getting ready. They're getting ready to leave. They're getting ready to shoot me. I don't know what's going on. The, the, the young man's name was Ray. I knew him. He was a big drug dealer in that community. And this is what happened. He jumped straight up in the air, cowboy boots on. He jumped straight up in there and let out the biggest yell you've ever heard. Scared me to death. When he come back and hit the floor, boom, he was speaking in tongues. He went from stoned. To wasted in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> hey, it's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Are these drunk as you suppose? He hardly knew what was happening to him. He's dancing, shouting. The rest of the guys are looking at him. And then it just, it just kind of dominoed through that place. And I, I was uh, in Acts 10 preaching about Cornelius. I was at verse 48. Here's what it says. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them that heard the word. Now I'll tell you, but I have used that more times on the field. It happened just before I left. You've seen them in the video. They, I asked God, I said, God, before I leave, I want a great Cornelius story. I said, before you leave, I'm going to give it to you. I said, all right. I don't know if it's going to be in the church in Northern Ireland, the church in Dublin. And we got down to Dublin. Now, in the back of our missions van, we always have um, two boxes of Bibles, portable PA system, portable baptismal tank, my search for truth chart, et cetera, et cetera. And this, this one of our young preachers come up. He said, Pastor, I'm, oh, you know, I want to be telling you. He said, I met this. We lied, you know. And he said, Something, something to me is about him. You know, he, he, I was talking to him. He said, I think they were Catholic folks. And he said, they couldn't come tonight. They was having a big get together at their house, but they, they wanted to meet you. I said, okay. And, um, so let me, let me tell you about our Sunday. We have church in Northern Ireland at our, at our main building. Down our church in Dublin, which we pastor as well then. They, there's, there's, I don't know, a dozen different nationalities. And they have an Asian service starting in the morning. Then they have an African service. And they have new convert courses. By the time we get there at 4 o'clock, they've already been having church for about 6 or 7 hours. And then we have a full-blown American church. We bring down our keyboard, and, man, we go at it. This is the way they want it. Um, we have, they're, they're in church for about 9 to 10 hours. We leave about midnight and they're still having church. Is that okay? 
he said, I don't want you to meet him. So we packed in the van. We went around, around the southwest side of Dublin. We pull up this house, and he's telling me. So let me tell you a little bit about this man. He said, he's involved somehow in the military. He's involved in the, the, the world of martial arts. And um, he said he's also involved with helping uh, refugees and everything. And I'm like, let me think here about Cornelius. He was a centurion. He was in the military. He gave alms to the poor. I said, God, this is sounding good. And I walk in the door, and he's got, the doors are open. The living room's full. The hall's full. You can see people all the way up the stairs. I, I don't know, 50, 60 people. And it, it, it's his family and people that work for him. As I walk down the hall, and you can hear him saying, Pastor is here, and I got my surfer chew chart, and my kids are with me. I think my nephew was there uh, from Bible school during the summer, and we start walking through there. I'm looking at um, plaques on the walls, and they're like uh, Master Ding, D-I-N-G, uh, number third martial artist in the world, triple black belt, Filipino, Chinese, Japanese martial arts. He has schools all over the city of Dublin and teaches and trains. Unbelievable. I turn the corner, and he's standing there, Master Ding. Hey! I was like, hi, how you doing? I almost did my martial. No, I didn't do that. I didn't. He's standing there, and he said, Pastor, I am Ding, leader of the family. He's, these are all family friends. He said, we have been praying. And he said, we, were, we have all been Catholic, but we know there is more of God. And we want to hear what you want to teach us about God. Oh, man. We've taught our kids in our AIM team, when we come in a situation like that, don't bunch up, but kind of fan out. And when God begins to move, you're, you're ready to pray with people. And so I'm beginning to teach, and I threw my big surfboard chart over there. His big television, there was literally, it was so packed in there. Actually, one of the pictures was in there. And then I'm teaching, I can't wait to get to Acts 10, to Cornelius' house. And I begin to teach about what's happening at Cornelius' house and, and how a God uh, sent Peter a vision, and now he's, he's coming there. And as I'm teaching, I noticed my daughter, Shauna, she's the first one to speak. She's kind of, she's waving at me, she's excited, and I'm like, I'm like, what is it, baby? She said, Dad, everybody in this corner is speaking in tongues. I look over at Ashley, my other daughter. She's tears rolling down her face. She said, Dad, everybody's getting the Holy Ghost. Again, Brother Anderson, I'm right on verse 48. 48. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell. See, I learned this in, 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 in the process of transformation. If your walk with God is where it ought to be, God is definitely going to be what he ought to be. And when you get those two things together, my brothers and sisters, you have got revival. You have got a soul winner on your hands. It's it's not rocket science now. It's not complicated. When I begin to seek the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, He begins to personally develop in me the skills and the confidence and the boldness. That's what they had in that first century. Boldness. They knew, Acts 4, that they were ignorant, unlearned men. But they they knew they had been with Jesus because they perceived their boldness. Boldness. 
Where's boldness comes? Boldness comes out of confidence, which comes out of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If I, if I can pray in the Spirit, ain't nothing I'm afraid of. I can witness to anybody. I can articulate. I can rightly divide the word. A workman needs not be ashamed. I, I, I can do it. I can, I can teach people. I can, I can be instant in season and out of season and, and be a vessel of honor that God can use. Amen? Let me hurry here. I'm growing. I'm changing. And that, let me finish that story. They, the Holy Ghost and I said, we have a portable baptismal tank. He said, Pastor, he said, I, I, am, I am Ding. He's Brother Ding now. I can show you in the book back there on my table who Brother Ding is now. Unbelievable man. He has personally now tripled the attendance of the Pentecostals of Dublin. One man. One Cornelius. He said, I have the bathtub ready. I said, all right. We went up to the bathtub upstairs, and we got a lot of people to baptize. We start bringing them up there. And these are a little bit of European bathtubs. We, we learn how to baptize in three stages. And we get them in there, and, and, and we baptize. And here's my wife, and I'm standing in this little bitty bathroom. We start baptizing. They're coming out. They're speaking in tongues. They're going in the Holy Ghost. We got a, a row of people coming up the steps, and they're going go in the Holy Ghost. They're speaking in tongues, and this side coming down is soaking wet from being baptized. My wife told me one point. She said the water is coming out of the bathroom and down the steps. I looked at Ding. He's over there going in the Holy Ghost. And I said, Ding, there's a lot of... He said, Pastor, we were not worried. He said, this is salvation. Salvation. It was, it was, it was crazy. And, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, this is revival. This is what revival looks like. It's, it's not all nice and everything's just, you know, like we want it. Nothing get out of order. It, it's, it's when we allow God to get radical. Radical. That's what the book of Acts is. It's radical. It's people preaching and being thrown in prison and changed and the angels busting them out and going right back and preaching. It's, it's boldness and it's crazy radicalness. No, I, I just want to find my seat somewhere. I'm going to sit down. Hope he gets done before the restaurant closes. God, help me, Lord. I'm going to stand before you one day, God. And I'm going to give an account. I'm not, I'm not trying to be heavy here tonight. But this stuff has changed me. And I'm a little worried about some of our North American churches. Now almost two years of travel. We live in some of us way below our privilege. Way below. We act like this belongs to us or something. We act like we can do whatever we want when we want and go on our way. Hey, my life's not my own. I'm bought with a price. This does not belong to me. It's all about Him. Everything is about Him. Everything that I am and will ever be is only because of what He did. And I'm taking the limits off. I don't know about you. 
Man, I wish something would bust out in this place tonight that you and this church would never be the same. I wish something would move through this place that would move us out of our comfort zone and turn us into a radical apostolic people of God that we made up our mind. I don't care what it takes. I'm never going back to that old way. I'm never going back to where just I'm, I'm complacent or I'm just kind of settled in. I'm ready for change. I'm ready for that next level of change. And then I, 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 I'll, uh, I'll come to a close. As, that, as these changes begin to take place in our life. We never dream, church, never, in our wildest imagination, ex-drug addict, alcoholic, my God, that God would honor us with the mission field. But the Spirit got a hold of us. And this idea that we are the only ones that can limit our growth. We are the only ones that can set the boundaries of where God will take us and where he'll use us. In fact, he's no respecter of persons. There's nobody in the sound of my voice that God can't use as great as anything you have ever heard. Okay, all right, all right. It's only me. It's only me that can impose those limitations. It's only me that decides there's other things more important than my prayer life and my walk with God. And I'm going to tell you, we do what we want to do. We know it. We do what we want to do. We and we alone decide what is important in our life, and that's where we invest our time, and that's where we invest our finances, that's where we invest our priorities. And so... I can't just say what I want. I got to go to the Word of God. And the Word of God tells me that every man's known by his fruit. Every man known is known by what is produced in his life. And a good man out of the good treasure that's in his heart bringeth forth good things. Good things. The good things that God brings out of me is because I've allowed him to put it there in the first place. That's what they said in Acts 3, such as I have, give I unto thee. I can't give what I don't have. I can't produce in others what has not first been produced in me. And that's got to happen. I've got to find that altar in my house. I've got to dig out that place with God and it will not be compromised. And nothing else will take priority over it. It's the place of change. It's the place where God's grace works in my life. And His mercies take me from one level to the next level to the next level. You, you, You can't take that place from me. There's nothing that's going on that's so important in life that it's going to steal that place from me. This is how I raise my kids. This is how we learn to pray. I'll tell you this final story. In that living room, we had this old antique furniture my wife's grandmother gave her. I had it refinished. Beautiful stuff. It's the only furniture left we did not sell. When we sold our home, we put a for sale sign out in our front yard. When God opened the door, we took a bottle of oil. We anointed the doorstep. We said, God, we, we consecrate this home. We give it to you. You spend this home, God. We sold all my heavy equipment off and all my business. And we sold everything. And, and we finally came down these pieces. And we stored it up in Indiana in my wife's attic. <laughs> furniture. Furniture. It's Furniture. 
It's stuff. I'm not saying it was easy to do. I'm saying when I'm standing in that church and Brother Anthony Mangan and, and all the officials from Europe are standing there and we fixed up this 400-year-old cobblestone barn that we're now having church in and living in a little section on the other end. And I'm looking out over this congregation of, of refugees and, and gypsies and people that come from all kind of walks of life, paramilitaries that have killed people. And I'm introducing Brother Mangan to come and dedicate it. And I go back and sit down. And all of a sudden, God, in a, like, a, in a, like in a video, he brought that house up in front of me. And he says, you think I spent that very well? Look out on this now. I started looking out on these faces that you've seen tonight. And I started looking out on these faces of these people that, that, that we are the only one God, Jesus' name, apostolic, tongue-talking church in the entire nation. And God put that house in front of me. He said, now, now try to compare that, that house with these souls and what God is doing in this country. My Lord, it, doesn't even, it just has no value anymore. And this chair that I bring my family down, big antique chair. My daughter got married a week, a year ago, um, May. She said, Dad, she was a leader of our Sunday school and youth group over there. She, she preached. They asked her, the general superintendent of UPC Great Britain and Ireland, Brother Francis, asked her before we left to come preach the general conference in Wales. A young lady, 29 years old. I still walk with God. She has. She said, Dad, I want that chair in my wedding. I said, what chair? She said, you know what chair I mean. She said, I want it on the platform. And she said, I'm going to write something. And it's going to be in my vows. I said, really? She said, yeah, Dad, it's, it's been in my heart since I've been a little girl. I said, all right, so we got up there to Indiana where the wedding was, and her fiancé, Mark, and my son, Caleb, and they, they got up in the attic, and they started digging through, and she said, now, when you find it, I want my dad. She said, don't get, she said, I want my dad to get in there and, and get the chair. They're like, oh, okay. And they found it, and it was back in the corner, had a sheet over it, and I could see it. We found it, Dad. Do you want to, do you, you want to pull it out? I said, oh, yeah, I guess so. I'm right here, and so I, I, I crawled over there, and I could see, like, the spindles of the legs of it. And I got over there, and I hadn't seen it, I don't know, 16, 17 years, been in storage. And I got over there, and I, I grabbed the legs of it and kind of pulled it to me. And when, I, when my hands touched it, that same spirit of intercession that I learned on that chair, I, I, I learned to go into the fourth dimension of prayer I, I, I teach the four dimensions of prayer where we go past entry level prayer and we go into the place where the spirit itself maketh intercession with groanings that cannot be uttered and when I pulled that I pulled the sheet off that and, and it busted loose in me and, and my daughter downstairs said I told you that was going to happen didn't I I told you my dad got to that chair pulled that chair out and they cleaned it up and they put it up on that altar up on that platform and uh, when my daughter stood there she's so beautiful and she said, um, those that of you that know my dad, you know what this chair is. You know what it represents. She said, those you don't know. When I was a little girl, my dad came back to God. And on this chair, I watched a man go from a drug addict to alcoholic. The man you see today. 
I watched the transformation every night, hours of prayer. Many, many nights of each week prayed all night long. We would come down in the morning to go to school before we went to Ireland. My dad would still be at that chair. We grew up seeing a dad that knew how to weep before God, knew how to travail before God. He taught us to do it. She said one night in particular, we had prayed for a while and finally went up to bed and that night, God just gently touched me. Come, come away with me. Come away with me. And I don't know, it's 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I kind of slid off of the bed, and I'm kneeling, and God's like, no, come, come down to your altar. And I, I came on back down the steps in our house, and I slid into that chair, and I, I, I usually would pray. I'd bring my hands up under me, and I would just kind of rock there and pray and I just kind of get into a place of, of the cycle. And this night, it, it's almost like the Lord took my hands and he, he put them up on the spindles in the back of that chair. And I wrapped my hands in it. And I'd never done this before. I literally pulled that chair up on its front legs. And when my face went past the back, it's like I went through a veil and something broke loose in my spirit. And that's what my daughter heard. And she's telling this in her wedding. And I went into that fourth dimension. And I, be, I believe that's where a missionary was birthed. Because the, the powers and principalities and rulers of darkness, some of the origins of Druid witchcraft originates in Ireland, just down the road, the 1,700-year-old castle on the hill from where we are was, was the headquarters of witchcraft that's the strong man and God was not going to open that door until we entered into that dimension Sean said I I heard it and it it startled me for a moment upstairs and then she said the most overwhelming feeling came to me a longing I came back downstairs and she said I saw my dad and he was he was in another place he he went to another place, and she said, I didn't want to interrupt him, but something was drawing me. I came up and touched him. Daddy, I turned to her, just hardly even there. What is it, baby? You all right? Daddy, can, can you teach me to pray like that? I said, wow, baby, kneel down here. I, I, I'm not sure how I got here. I said, but if you kneel down here, you kind of get hold of spindles on that side there. And I said, we're going to pull this chair up. I said, I don't know what importance that has. I said, but something's happening. We pulled that up and we begin to we begin to rock. And just within a few minutes, intercession began to break out in her. And travail began to break. And when you know it, here comes eight-year-old Ashley. She didn't even interrupt us. I felt her just snuggle in on this side. And she grabbed those spindles. And, and here we go. It served us well when we were on the street preaching and they'd lean back and throw rocks and eggs at us as hard as they could and knock our glasses off and do everything they could. Enemy threw everything, death threats and everything at us. And we would learn to get in that old farmhouse, hadn't been lived in in a hundred years, mold up the walls. And when we'd get homesick and things would get hard, We'd come into that old barn and we would just go right in our mode and something would begin to happen in our spirit and something would begin to take place. My wife 
said at the at her wedding, she said, there's a picture I wished I had. It's of a dad and two little girls beside their dad every, every night for hours in a place of travail, in a place of worship as God was, was taking us to another level. It wasn't after we went to that place. It was, just, it was just a few weeks later, and I met an Irishman out on the streets there in Kissimmee, Florida. Before I knew it, I was sitting in his house. I didn't see it coming. I'm sitting in there, and he said, uh, he said, I, I live here. He said, uh, I have a travel agency. He said, I'm from Northern Ireland, you know. And he said, he said, you know, I know you do a lot of contract work out here. He said, I've been watching you. I said, oh, you have? Oh, he said, what, what is it that's different about you, boy? And I said, well, I'm, I said, I'm a Pentecostal. Ah. He said, I thought that would be the case. He said, that's those crazy people. I said, yeah, I guess, I guess we can be a little crazy. He said, would you, would you show me in the Bible about what makes you so different? I said, well, my Bible's in the truck. And he said, no, sure, I got my own Bible. I had this big, huge Catholic Bible. <laughs> I never saw one before. And it, um, if you ever saw one, it's got, like, extra books in it. And I'm flipping through it. I'm like, okay, look at this. Dear Lord, I hope the book of Acts is in this thing. And I find the book of Acts, and I just start, I start reading, you know, the book of Acts. I start reading Acts 2. I'm reading, his wife says, Oh, you're reading about Peter. You, you need to know Peter's our first pope. I said, oh, right. You know, I, I'm totally ignorant of Catholic thing. I said, well, that is outstanding. I said, I didn't know that. Peter's the first Catholic pope. And I said, that's wonderful. I said, well, let's see what the pope's got to say here. I happened to be about verse 38 of Acts 2, and the Pope's preaching. When then Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. I was reading the scripture, and their eyes were getting bigger and bigger, and I was like, I haven't even explained it yet. I've never taught Bible study up to that point where as I'm reading the scripture, God has given the revelation. They both looked at me and he said, It's the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus, isn't it? And I said, yeah. I said, what about the name of Jesus? We're supposed to be baptized like they said in the name of Jesus. I said, has someone taught you that? No, you know, we're seeing it, what you're reading. I'm like, really? They went to their Saturday night mass, walked up to the priest. We want to know why you're not preaching what the first pope preached. Invited them to our church. They walked in the door Sunday among all of that wild, crazy, ex-drug addict, ex-alcoholic, moron, maniacs. And I told them, I met these Irish people, please just try to contain yourself. When that came out of my mouth, this is what they heard. Act crazier than you've ever acted before, ever. That's what they heard somehow. That Irish folk walk in, I, was, I think I was playing the bass in those days, and he walked in, I was like, oh, let me get it off, I got to get to him. They saw him first. They rushed him. I'm, I'm working my way through them, you know, like, ugh, unbelievable. They were speaking in tongues. And I developed a wonderful relationship with Eamon and Pauline Furphy. Taught them a Bible study. I baptized them in Jesus' name about two weeks later. I didn't see it coming. And he come to me, this is uh, November 1996, and he said, uh, he said, I've been doing a bit of research. I said, you have? Right? He said, um, 
got a call back today from your headquarters. Headquarters? Well, you know up there in Hazelwood. I said, yeah, I know where headquarters is. He said, uh, you have a division up there. It's called the Foreign Missions Division. I said, well, yeah, I know that. He said, you know you have no churches in Ireland. I said, really? I said, I would never dream that. We don't. He said, no, you have none at all. And he said, um, he said, I'm going to tell you about my country a wee bit. He told me about the war and the fighting, the distrust, the hurt, the wounds. He said, I reckon the only chance my country's got is, is, is what you folks have. He said, I got some great news for you. Boy, the Irish are tricky, man, I'm going to tell you. He said, I met this wee lad, you know, great, great lad. He's going to go start in a wee church over there. I said, what is it? I said, they tell you about somebody? I said, Dude, I wonder if I know him. He said, oh, sure, you know him, boy. He said, I'm looking at him. I said, Eamon, I can't go start a church in Ireland. I said, I, I only been back at church four years. I said, I, I never got to go to Bible school. I said, I, have, I don't have any training. I was doing that whole Moses thing, right? He looked at me with this, this Irish look. That's all I can tell you. He said, well, boy, you better be getting it together. I bought the plane tickets today. We're leaving in two weeks. It's like I've set before you an open door whether you're ready or not. I got on the plane praying, fasting with my search for truth chart, Bible. Flew into Belfast. We come out of the terminal, and the IRA set a car bomb off. Blew up that end of the terminal. Didn't even phase him. He got in his little car he had, steering wheels on the wrong side, jumps on the left side of the road, flies through roundabouts, 90 mile an hour, boom, just flying, burned out cars, I mean, it's a war zone, Belfast, we pull up to his house, his whole family sitting there waiting, friends, people, they got this little trolley they bring out, little tea set on it, it should have a wee cup of tea, like that's the answer to everything, I'm jet lagged, never flew overseas in my life. There ain't going to be no rest. It's time to teach the word of God. And I'm just, I'm drinking tea and I'm the chart and I begin to teach the word of God. And these people just begin to weep. People from kids all the way up into their 80s. Methodist, um, Presbyterian, never, ever in their life, been in church all their life, never heard anything about water baptism in Jesus name in filling of the Holy Ghost I'm literally teaching over the course of four weeks same thing the group's getting bigger and bigger I'm teaching five or six Bible studies a day at people's houses finally they rent a big community center and 250 people come I ain't nobody there but me and I'm teaching and the Holy Ghost poured out I'm, I'm still thinking this is a one time thing I'm here, and I'm going to try to get them contact. I called my wife, and she said, God gave me a vision. And she said, Terry, God is getting ready to use us for a great revival in that country. I said, I thought I was going to have a fight with her. Like, <laughs> honey, after everything you've been with, through with me, we're going to need to sell everything we own and go overseas. She said, I've already begun to box stuff up. I'm already beginning to move and beginning to take the steps necessary. This deputation, she was just out in California teaching at the ladies' conference in the Western District about these things that God 
put in her life. Sister Nona Freeman spoke over her life in London that first year there just after we barely missed a car bomb. And she confronted the, the, the literally physically confronted a, a, a physical manifestation of a demon right in our house. Literally manifested itself. And my wife in the Holy Ghost confronted that spirit, took it outside. I was trying to come. She said, she turned around to me. She said, you stay in the house. I don't need you. I was like, oh, okay. Confronted that spirit because we have power and authority over these spirits. We bind and loose according to the authority that God's given us in our life. And the things that God has released in that country. Did I, did I tell you I was an ex-drug addict and alcoholic? Don't ever make an excuse sound like a reason. There's nothing that you've ever happened in your life that God is not willing and ready to move you out of and forward into a soul winner. Stand with me tonight.